0: Reveille, reveille, dogs! Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, Oh, yeah, it's MK all day. Nearly every day, back at it. Friday, the 13th of November, 2020. What a wild year, but we're back at it. The big beige one, BBC, Brian Campbell in your face hole, and that guy over there, right? That that way. that No, no, that...
1: Somewhere. Somewhere Other in way. the
0: room here. Somewhere. It is, from CBS Sports, one of the most popular journalists in America, Luke Thomas. Luke, uh, orange background on Friday, hats are welcome, no J, no rules, bro. Let's have some fun today. You in?
1: I'm always in, although I have to take some issue. I don't. A, I'm not one of the most popular journalists in America, in no small part because I don't really think I'm even a journalist anymore. I mean, I'm media. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, I'm not. You know, I'm Luke, not Seymour Hersh in it.
0: That's a fair point. We are entertainers, Luke. Okay, we come to this hole to entertain. Hold on, I got issues here. Hold on. All right. Here we go. We're back. We're back. We're back, baby. Uh, We come to entertain Luke, talk a little about the fight game, get you fired up, tell you why these fights matter. Weekend preview, as always, on Friday, Luke. Uh, It's BBC time hosting the show as how we do it here. So please, folks, like the damn video, subscribe to the channel. If you're not uh, already in on our three live shows every Monday, Wednesday, Friday for MK or that Thursday chat with the fans and Luke, uh, check out our interviews this week. Good God, who do we have? Teofimo Lopez Jesus. Jr., Hall of Famer in the WWE, Kevin Nash, RDA, Rafael Dos Anjos, Terrence Bud Crawford. We're bringing it this week. All killer, no filler, so get on board. Uh, also, if you want to wear that fantastic sweatshirt, that looks great on Luke because he's been lifting in the front yard, people, okay? Head on over to store.show.com. Ask for the 5XL. Tell them Luke sent you. And uh, hopefully one day, if you don't live in this country, you'll be allowed to wear this as well, okay? <laughs> yeah! All right. Uh, you want a 30-day free trial of Showtime, you're going to get a lot of good stuff. Boxing, right? Documentaries, movies. Maybe some nudes if the red shoes are still dying out there. Head on over there to Showtime.com, please. Uh, all proceeds go to Showtime and not us. But, you know, in the in the, in the in the long run, it reaches, we'll reach around them. They'll reach around us. We'll, we'll make that work. Everyone, we're happy family here. All good. Luke, before we get going, it is Friday. I mean, how, what's new in your personal life? What do we got? What's happening here, bro?
1: Uh, let's see. I'm taking my daughter to swim lessons tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. Um, did some online shopping last night. And... Um, looking at these Corona numbers and waiting for another lockdown, which seems inevitable at this point. So we, my family wants to cancel Thanksgiving. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? Are you going anywhere? What, what's your plan? Uh, no,
0: my, my family, my extended family, I go to an uncle's house for Thanksgiving and Christmas. They have also canceled both. So, you know, good luck to, to everyone, Luke, you know? Yeah, it's I mean, going to be a, a great, great holiday. Who are you blaming for this? China, Trump, the state of Florida? Who are we blaming that this thing's so out of control right now? This is political You know what? Every,
1: everybody's to blame. I mean, I'm not saying in equal terms, you know, because God only knows what the Chinese did. I don't know. You don't know. But, you know, it, they didn't contain the virus. We'll put it that way. And then uh, Trump is just a complete fucking idiot in every way All imaginable. Right. And so he sucked. And then you could say, well, who else is responsible? Buddy, I have seen people... When Trump lost the election, it was like that scene in uh, Return of the Jedi in the indoor moon when all the fucking Ewoks are celebrating. That's how it was around here. Well, (laughs) all, all those dumbasses went downtown and all celebrated together, half of them not wearing masks, and now a bunch of them have... The fucking Rona. Your boy didn't do that. Your boy went straight home and yes. kept to his own fucking business. So everybody's well, oh, to blame, BC. Everybody. Well, you're not
0: an angel. You're a, a weird exhibitionist who lifts weights on your front porch so that homeless <laughs> folks can come by and have their dreams fulfilled by looking at you. Uh, I'm not sure your guy Biden's any better though. Hopefully he can fix. Oh, he's a things. moron too. But All what right? are you where's do? Nader when we need? I don't know. Where's uh? C- can you can you present someone worth voting for, Luke? Please. Can they do that already? Can, or do dude, I have to
1: still? <clears throat> how about The Rock? Can we get on
0: board with The Rock? Yeah, I mean, at this point, why not? Right? At this yeah, point, seriously. why the hell not? All right. I'm sure we lost viewers there. Whatever. Uh, let's get into Stop. the show. Listen, this listen, week. listen.
1: If you don't like my views because for whatever reason, lighten up, Francis. The world is not going to end. We're going to talk MMA in 15 seconds. Yeah, we don't have to like the
0: same shit, all right? We all live in the same country. Get over it, all right? Thanksgiving, by the way, Thanksgiving, the best holiday ever, ever. So, you know, we may not get family or football or friends this year, but, you know still gonna get If you can get that food look you get that meal you get that get, get that meat pie get that get the stuffing the cranberry you know what I'm saying the pour the gravy all on top look I would swim in a vat of gravy and just and I mean oh yeah no do you get
1: my family agrees with you they think that Thanksgiving is the best holiday I gotta be honest I understand the argument and I agree it's super underrated I'm still a Christmas guy man I'm still well, a Christmas guy. Yeah,
0: you know that. I mean, Christmas is fantastic. I mean, you know, it's there's a reason for that season, Luke. Okay, all right, it's fantastic. Uh, but anyway. some
1: some of us love Jesus Christ. Maybe yeah, maybe exact. you're not That's... one
0: of them. <laughs> <laughs> and some of us bark at the moon like Luke and Ozzy. All right, let's get into the show. We got a lot to look ahead, a little bit to look back on, of course, following that fantastic Bellator 252 card on Thursday night. But we'll start here, UFC. We got a last-minute switch. We broke it down on Wednesday. Saturday night's UFC Fight Night main event from Las Vegas is going to give us the former lightweight champion, Rafael dos Santos, moving back down to 155. First time in four years, and he won't be facing Islam Makachev. He will be facing the damn Red Dragon, who has come to save all of our day's Paul Felder. Uh, Luke, I don't know if you, you checked it out, but I did talk to RDA this week. And as much as the storyline here is certainly, thank you, Paul Felder. You may have improved the potential for this to be a great fight. This may, There may be more at stake in this one. I don't think we're talking enough about what RDA is trying to do. Luke, am I wrong to remember that when he barely made weight and got knocked out by Eddie Alvarez in one round, he almost died trying to make that weight? Four years later, age 36, he wants to do it again. Smart? Not smart? What do you got for me?
1: Uh... I don't know that I want to call it not smart. Like, it's not like BJ Penn trying to go back out there and get some last blast of glory. I mean, his last two fights were against... Uh, Leon Edwards and, and Michael Chiesa, who in the case of Edwards, a top contender, in the case of Chiesa, uh, you know, a big 170, or obviously he was drained at 155 himself, but this fight was at 170, you know, sort of a leaning on you, top pressure guy in he has reinvented himself at 170 pounds. So it's like, okay, well, that's not the end of the world. You're obviously too small for it. He would really benefit from one, from one of those tweener weight classes, a 165, I think would be really quite suitable for him. So. it's not like you think he can't win this. I mean, again, look at the odds. He's a slight favorite. Maybe you think he should be a higher favorite because he's the one who's been training this whole time and Felder has not. But then when you look at the numbers, and we'll go through them here in just a minute, BC, this fight is about as even on paper as I've ever seen one. I mean, it's shocking how much their stats all line up with each other. So I'll tell you this much. When he first came on the screen and you were interviewing him, he looked gaunt. I mean, he did not look good. I still don't think that this cut to 155 is optimal in any way. It's just if you have the burning desire that this guy does, and he is a competitive bastard through and through, you're just not ready to let go of your dreams yet. And you and 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 can I say that he can't win on Saturday? No, I can't. No, so, you can't. And, I don't I mean, love well, it, comes- but I don't hate it.
0: When he comes on on our show, which he did, and say, you know, I got another run left in me. You're going to see me as the lightweight champion of the world again. You're 36. You've lost 4 of 5. It's easy for us, Luke, to go, yeah, whatever, bro. But, Luke. Can we give RDA the love he deserves? And I'm glad so many people that watched that video did in the comments section. RDA has one of the sneaky, great resumes of this era that doesn't get the love and respect, and it's not just for the wins. And if you you couple together all those wins, it's a very impressive run. It's for everybody he lost to as well, everybody he fought. He's always facing the very best. He always comes to fight. He's a tough-as-nails bastard who's completely well-rounded, and when he says, I can do this... I can cut down to 155. He may be the only guy I can believe where I'm not going to fear for his life and health. Now, Luke, the specifics of what RDA is saying is when he used to cut down to 55 four years ago, he'd walk around at 196 before cutting down to 155. He says through a complete recommitment this calendar year to nutrition, he's walking around more at 176, 172. So you're cutting that down about 20 pounds for the cut. If we can believe that, that's fine. But I I really got a smell of some Rocky Four in Moscow, old school bare bones training camp here for a guy who after he lost in January to uh Michael Chiesa, as you mentioned, look, he basically started training camp the next day. We're about eight months into this RDA camp, and three of those months were in bare bones conditions in his native Brazil, going down to the favelas, running up the mountain with the young fighters who are hoping to to you know sniff a dream that he has fulfilled. If, if he's going to do this, which is an uphill climb at, at late in your career to cut back down in weight and still face the best and still proclaim that I got enough left in the tank to make a title run, it seems that he's doing it the right way, Luke. It seems that when you hear him talk, he's doing it for the right reasons, providing for his family. Again, if anybody can have anything left and pour it out in the cage on Saturday, I'm not going to count this fella out because... Skill for skill, stats for stat, they're pretty even at this point, and certainly both have questions, uh, of, you know, not, not to mention Felder on, on a couple days' notice here, even though he's in great physical shape. But skill for skill, I still love RDA in this matchup, Luke. So there's no reason he can't do this.
1: G- getting back to your point about his resume, let's just quickly go through it. Since 2014, I mean, you can look at the totality of it, but since 2014, who has this guy fought? Well, understand it's been a 155 and 170, at the time, for sure, the two most competitive divisions in the sport. Listen to this. and These are not all wins. In fact, a lot of these are losses. But listen to who this guy has faced since 2014. Nurmagomedov, Jason High, Benson Henderson, Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis, Donald Cerrone, Eddie Alvarez, Tony Ferguson, Tarek Safadine, Neil Magny, Robbie Lawler, the last three, by the way, he won at 170. Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman, Kevin Lee, Leon Edwards, and Michael Kiesa. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who has been in the trenches against the very best his generation had to offer, and he didn't win them all. How could you when you're fighting all of those guys all the time? It is a testament to the kind of character he has. Now, As it relates to the actual matchup itself, BC, I went through and looked at the numbers on this. The only real clear difference between them, because by the way, they're about the same age themselves. One was born in October, one was born in April of 1984. But the same year is the height. Uh, Paul Felder, about uh, 5'11". Huffell is about 5'8". But their average fight time, about 13 minutes apiece. Strikes landed per minute, about three and a half. Accuracy, about 45%. Strikes absorbed, little bit more for Paul Felder in that count, but still, they're both pretty about even on that one. Striking defense, a little bit of a different, 49%. to dos is 62%. Um, takedown accuracy, about 30%. Takedown defense, about 60%. The other difference here is uh, you have takedowns for 15 minutes. Rafael dos goes for nearly two. So that's really is your difference here. I think he's going to make Paul Felder work a little bit, right? Go for those takedowns, uh, clinch up with him, try and use whatever you can to drain this guy because how ready is he? Blah, 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 blah. And you've got to be in you know phenomenal shape. So I'm expecting a tough fight that goes several rounds. I do still lean towards RDA for all the reasons aforementioned, but Paul Felder is about a, as live a dog in this contest as you're ever going to find.
0: Yeah, and let's stay with Felder here for a second. We know about the whole save the card. It's great, you know, and and it's probably a more fun matchup. There's more reward for RDA. But the whole idea of the chance that Paul Felder's taking, not the risk, Luke, the chance, meaning he's going to do this on just a couple days' notice. Yes, he's in uh, triathlon shape. So the weight cutting didn't seem to be an issue. I don't get in the cage, Luke. You've rolled a few times. Is there anything to be fearful of? Yeah, he might be in the shape, but is he in the contact preparation, physical and mental shape he needs to be for a fight this big?
1: I'm not worried about that either. The only thing that I would be worried about if I was in his corner is, do we have a good enough of a strategic plan? I mean, the good news is with RDA, you got a lot of tape on the guy you kind of know what he's got at this point. There's not a whole lot of secrets. I mean, you know, he can switch some things up here or tweak some things there, but he more or less is who he is at 36 years of age. So that's good. But did you have the right approach? And if that approach was not correct, do you have a good plan B to go to there? That would be my only concern because you look at a guy like Paul Felder, he's got like, the Charles Oliveira fight, maybe his best fight was... He, he told me he was not supposed to go into Olivera's guard. He just did anyway, and he smashed him out. So he can improvise, and he can do it quite well. However, I think the general resume he has and the successes he's had speaks to, did you have the right game plan, and did you stick to it? He's a little bit more of that kind of a fighter. I That would be my only concern here, because you know RDA, even with a switch, has got a lot of different gears to go to to prep. I don't know if Paul Felder's in that same space. That's my only concern. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting
0: to your happy place for a happy price Go to your happy price, Priceline Very interesting stuff. Uh, Eileen RDA as well, Luke. I think it's going to be all action. I think he could stop Paul Felder late here if, uh, if he relies on the wrestling at times to kind of hopefully gas Felder out and it he makes it a little bit of a war, Felder loves getting to a war. Maybe sometimes not for his own good, Luke. So this could be interesting. Obviously all of this good RDA nature only happens and matters if he can make the weight today and feel comfortable and look good there. But obviously, you know, in a smaller weight class, uh, you'd think physically he'll have some more advantages that he didn't have at welterweight. Although he started off pretty hot there. Luke, anything else on this card that pops you? It's Okay. It's okay, Luke. What what should I care about?
1: Well, one last thing on this, if I may, is that the chin issue for for RDA. I don't think he has a bad chin. But at 155, I don't know how it's going to look. I mean, yes, he's cutting less weight. So that should be better, I guess. Um, But that's the thing I'm going to pay attention to. Plus, Paul Felder kind of hits hard. He's got good left hooks that they exchange in the pocket. You You saw what he did to Dan Hooker's face, swelling it up that way. That could be a bit of an X factor too. Uh, in terms of the rest of the card, the return of Julian Marquez is interesting. Kay Hansen, I think, is a prospect that women's strawweight who's worth paying attention to. Uh, and then I think it's on this card the Brendan Allen Sean Strickland fight. It was supposed to be a different one. Brendan yes. Allen's opponent fell out. He is a uh, he looks to be like a very very top prospect. So seeing what he can do is always going to be interesting as well.
0: Yeah, that'll be the prelim main event. Should be interesting. Your boy, Eric Anders. I'm always down for that. But, uh, yeah, I want to see Kay Kay Hansen. just 21 years old, uh, looked really good in that that UFC debut coming off of the Invicta run. She'll be in there against uh, Corey McKenna, who I I believe identifies as female. So that should be a good fight, Luke. That'd be interesting. All right, Luke, let's keep it going. The show here... little bit of an update on all things Adesanya Blahowitz and the idea, will UFC go in this direction, taking their middleweight champion and allowing him to enter potential champ-champ territory here against the newly crowned light heavyweight King Jan Blahowitz Adesanya says he has no desire, Luke, to stay at 205 pounds. And here's... Let's stay right there. I think you would only make this fight against Blahowitz, obviously, because you don't want somebody to win your belt and GSP it and just give it back... Uh, You know, I assumed this is where he was going, Luke, not just in the direction of a John Jones super fight, but the whole idea of I just ran the gauntlet at middleweight. What else would I have to prove outside of a big money Whitaker rematch, which personally I'm of course in on. I I thought it would have been time to go up to 205 and sort of retest the waters on the idea of becoming a heavyweight again. He's talked a big game. It seemed like time to back it up. What do you make of the, of these comments saying no desire to stay there?
1: I mean, is it not totally plausible that he could go to 205, win the belt, decide, I don't want to do this anymore, either go fight John Jones at heavyweight or back down to 185 or whatever, and then they now have to have Blahovich and somebody else fight for, or Tiago Santos and somebody else, or not Tiago Santos, or to Teixeira. But, you know, is there a conceivable scenario where within short order, Blahovich goes and recaptures the belt again? I mean, that seems very, very possible to me, which sounds like a disaster. You know, I understand the UFC wanting to give a guy like Adesanya champ champ status if he can if he can find a way to take advantage of the opportunity. I understand um, how fun it might be for him to see uh, or to, be, to to watch him in you know unusual fights outside of his normal weight class. But I don't know, man. If your plan is to just have the guy go up once and if he gets it, give it right back. You know, you're doing damage to a division that already needs a lot of help in terms of rebuilding. That is, in terms of what the division needs, B.C., the opposite of what it's looking for. I don't, I don't love that, to be candid with you.
0: No, I don't. I mean, look, this, this whole development here seems like it could very much open the door for your dream front yard weightlifting partner, the great old man, Glover Teixeira, to slide in there. Uh, we argued earlier this week that I did that it was the fight to make right now. It seems like it is, because uh, if, if that's Izzy's way of thinking, then keep him. Keep him at middleweight. Let's do the Whitaker rematch. Or let's build to the one-off against John to capitalize on the Twitter beef, knowing that John's eventually going to go north to heavyweight. Uh, I think that's where we end up here. Glover has come out and said he thinks he will get the next title shot. I still think Dana's comments last Saturday, Luke, afterwards saying, you know, how does he not deserve it is essentially what Dana said. I mean, you're the guy making that decision, Dana. So if you're saying that, that certainly means you're potentially leaning back in that direction it just seems like it makes sense, Luke. You also have Jan Blachowicz saying I'm open to fighting whoever they pick, whether it's Glover or Izzy, and let's do it in March. Uh, if we go the direction of Glover next, where does Izzy go in your mind? Does he go Whittaker or does he go John Jones?
1: I like the I like the Jones fight even if it's non-title. To me it doesn't really matter, but for the UFC, I I mean, do you make that fight with no belt? It just seems like that you just wouldn't do. I mean, here here's the thing. It's almost like someone was asking me in the live chat yesterday, shouldn't the UFC have a set of belts that have nothing to do with the weight class and then the corresponding uh, space? So in other words, no weight class belt and then no interim belt. And I said, yes, they already did that, which was the BMF belt. But, you know, would you want to prol- proliferate that? Because, you know, the fight itself between Jones and Izzy The belt doesn't make it what it is or what it would be or it has nothing to do with it. But could you reasonably sell it? Would you want to sell it as something where it was a non-title affair? I mean, maybe you could do that. I suppose it'd be a thing. So listen, I wouldn't mind seeing the Whitaker rematch. I think the Whitaker rematch would be a lot closer than the first one. I'd still favor Adesanya to win. But dude, Whitaker has looked fucking great and people need to acknowledge that. At the same time, it just feels like all the momentum is in the other direction, but with a bit of, you know, a set of complicating factors, BC, and how they square that circle will be really interesting to see.
0: I don't know, Luke, what else could happen between Izzy and John for this fight to be more perfect to do it right now. Like, what else do they have to do? Do they have to fight in public? Like, what, you know, like, I don't understand waiting. The window is there where Izzy's about to burst through as a potential star. John hasn't yet moved up to he- heavy, but has already given up the belt. What, why do you need a title when it's a super fight? I mean, look, it sounded like in your voice there, you were almost teasing back. Uh, you know, because yesterday was, oh, by the way, the, what, 27th anniversary of UFC 1 in Denver in 1993. I'd almost felt like you wanted to bring back the super fight title there that Ken Shamrock had. I mean, like, uh, do you need, why need it? You don't need it. It's a super fight. It, it would tell us a lot. There's almost more at stake in the potential passing of the baton in terms of stardom and the fact that even, you know, if you wanted to build it that way, bill it that way, excuse me, with Habib exiting the sport... This could be a fight to to determine the current pound-for-pound king. I mean, it really would be. So I don't think you need it, but here's the deal, UFC. If you're not going to do the John-Izzy fight next, then when are you if Izzy isn't talking about hanging around at 205? So it's either you want to do it now and you want to get from it what you potentially could as an organization – Or, you know, you're going to have to hope they can collide down the road at heavyweight or something one day. So, uh, you know, shit or get off the pot and let's figure this thing out, Luke, all together, right? I
1: mean, here's what I think UFC is up against. If you look at the scenario, this should not be complicated. Izzy has a top contender in Robert Whitaker and Blachowicz has a top contender in Glover Teixeira, right? Those are the fights that you should basically make. But here is the problem that UFC has to sort of figure out what they want to do. John wants to go to heavyweight. Now, I think that depending on who they give him, foregone conclusion that he wins is strong, but there's a good possibility that he wins. Here's the problem. What if he goes to heavyweight and doesn't? In fact, what if he goes to heavyweight and just gets bodied by somebody, whether it's Francis or Stipe or you know wh- whatever the case ends up being? Or Lobster, yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but is that a thing that you want to do? Because now, if he goes up there and does that, yes, John could always come back to 205 and you could make it there. But part of the appeal of what Adesanya represents is not just rivalry with Jones. It's that somebody finally came around that, not beat him at his own game, but eclipsed him in time and space, right? Finally found him at the moment where he was just weak enough and you were just strong enough, and it wasn't so much a weight class issue. In fact, it, it, uh, Izzy would be moving up, but it, you know, John would not have any claim about you know having to make any kind of adjustment in that regard you would lose that a little bit. And so I don't know what they want to do about that. I don't know how you solve that problem, but I think that's what they're up against. But again, lastly, just on those weight classes, dude, 185 and 205, they've got top contenders. Those are easy fights to make. What will they do? I mean, your guess is as good as mine.
0: All right. Hey, let's go to Thursday night. That was last night, Luke. Bellator 252 from the Mohegan Sun. And we said coming in, sneaky great card, especially they went with a three-fight main card. All three were really good matchups. All three delivered in terms of entertainment in your main event. Featherweight champion, Patricio Pitbull, defending and advancing to the semifinals of this Grand Prix with a first-round finish against a uh, a bold Pedro Carvalho. Luke, uh, I tried to talk up the Portuguese man's chances coming in just from the standpoint that he was super confident and he felt he had an angle to do this. The betting odds were telling me to shut the hell up. Uh, they were right, Luke. Pitbull is all we say he is. Everything he touched Carvalho with seems to do damage. How impressed are you uh, by once again seeing this guy win, but also 19 wins in the Bellator cage? That's a new promotional record.
1: He is uh, hes something special. It's not like Pedro Carvalho was the toughest test he'd ever faced like that's not what makes it special is that the guy was off for a while you wonder when the decline might start happening because by the way he's been in some wars I mean as dominant as he's been of late you know even the Daniel Weishel fight I was there for that Weishel was putting it on him before he got flatlined and then the fights with Daniel Strauss were difficult like he's had you know his body has been pushed in a number of different ways and so you want to see exactly what he's got left Dude, he is better than ever he is in total command of what he's up against. Because remember, it wasn't just that he knocked a, a Pedro Carvalho out. He nearly submitted him on the ground, too. You know, almost snatching up a guillotine. I mean, he, just, he beat this guy everywhere he wanted to. And it was not even close. And if you're Patricio Pitbull, and I made this point on CBS Sports HQ last night, you have to love this because the fight got delayed. So you came back to an opponent who was totally overmatched. And now you're heading into a rematch with a much-improved Emmanuel Sanchez, who they both fought each other four fights ago at this point. You know, you need to be ready for that guy. This was the best... I mean, you know, was it a tune-up fight in the traditional sense? No. But it ended up serving a bit of a uh, of that role, BC, in getting him ready. But Patricio Pitbull, you know, how good is he in terms of the best featherweights on earth? I don't know. I think probably top three, maybe even a little bit higher than that. But just watching a guy like this do work, best fighter in Bellator history, getting better over time, and then using this particular opportunity to get right back into the swing of things after a bit of a COVID hiatus. It's a great place to be if you're a Bellator to see this guy um, continuing to do what he does.
0: Yeah, and, and he had called out Carvalho during that selection show, which I thought was pretty cool when Bellator allowed sort of the, the higher-ranked people in this tournament to come out and pick their opponents. He wanted to be on this side of the bracket. He wanted him. Uh, Luke, I think the, the, the any form of a beef between the Pitbull brothers and SBG uh, just got, got backed, uh, muted there with this type of performance because, yes— Four of the five previous Pitbull opponents did go the distance against him. You wondered if some of the things Carvalho was talking about could be true. No, they weren't. This was this fight looked like a mismatch in how it played out. Uh, Pitbull absolutely dominated every second. And Luke, uh, on the same side of the bracket on Thursday night, we of course saw Emmanuel Sanchez defeat da- Daniel Weichel by unanimous decision in their rematch from four years ago. You saw just how much Emmanuel Sanchez has improved uh, in the Duke Rufus camp there in uh, in Milwaukee, or I'm sorry, Wisconsin. And Luke, this is going to set up for a rematch between the two of them. Pitbull, who already defeated Sanchez. Uh, let's stay in this fight for a second. I saw an Emmanuel Sanchez with a friggin' motor, Luke, who was just coming at Vichel. Now, Vichel's a veteran. He showed a tremendous chin and will to hang in there and try to have moments. Even when he was getting dominated in that third round, he's still firing back. But Emmanuel Sanchez is just chopping him down to the legs, going hard to the body. Big combinations on him every single second. Did you see enough from Sanchez right here to greatly improve his chances in a rematch against Pitbull?
1: Yes. Yes, I did. I still think he's got a bit of a fatal flaw in that he's too hittable. I mean, even in these highlights, he's getting the better of these exchanges, but you see him marching down on Weishel, taking shots to get in range. You know, you do that against Patricio Pitbull, you're going to end up looking at the lights, you do it enough times, right? So, he's Weishel is not the power puncher or the accuracy, uh, the accurate puncher that Patricio Pitbull is. However, to your point about Emmanuel Sanchez, wow. You know, the he still has, well, I would say he has two fiddle flaws. One, he gets hit a little bit. Two, he's not exactly the best finisher, but... The way in which he was able to get pretty goddamn close against a super tough, experienced, talented veteran like Daniel Weishel was incredible to me. I mean, that second round was 10-8, easy, almost 10-7, not quite, but getting into that territory. I mean, he absolutely put it on him. The accuracy of his strikes have gotten better. His overall physicality has gotten better, right? Not just with his punching power, but his, you know, the intensity of his wrestling. He was always good at being an everyman. He could do every job pretty well. But now he has upped the danger. He has upped the intensity. He has upped the physicality. And he's upped the precision of what he's trying to do. Still think he's got some defensive issues that might cost him against Pitbull. So I'm going to favor the best fighter in Bellator history over him. But this is a, I'll say it. I, I didn't think the fight for Carvalho was this way at all. It was a very winnable fight for Emmanuel Sanchez. He can absolutely get this done. And if he can find a way, BC, to weaponize his cardio in the way that he has so that he makes Pitbull work, dude, look out. He could do something
0: spectacular. I mean, he was in Vichel's face for long stretches, Luke. Just variety of flurries of all different kinds of strikes. And I think the best thing he showed was anytime Vichel landed, and he did, you're right, Sanchez can get hit. Sánchez walking right through that stuff like it wasn't even there. So he's in a in a peak moment in his career. The determination, the belief in himself, the 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 variety of strikes as I mentioned. This should be fun. And I got to shout out this tournament here, Luke. This featherweight one, which which was double the size of the previous two recent. Grand Prix we'd seen from Bellator certainly did not have the sex factor of the, the welterweight one which had some of the best fighters in the world with Lima with uh, Rory with the idea that we didn't know how good MVP was and he was going to be in that and then obviously the heavyweight one which was a, a nice mix Luke of uh, old expired food that, that just tastes so good and you know potentially an opening for somebody like Ryan Bader to do exactly what he did uh, this featherweight one didn't really have a face to it outside of like okay Pitbull's in it and he's got to defend the title and oh by the way Luke let's let's just stay here for a second bellator don't make it easy on the champion i mean you're Pitbull. you got to go 5 rounds every single time and every fight that you're in it's the title fight it's the it's it's the championship final for whoever you're facing right you know it's almost more you know it is more important than the tournament you know i mean if uh, carvalho wins thursday night Screw the rest of the tournament. He just became champion. Now, look, I, I, I know how it works. He'd have to keep moving on and defending, but you get my point there. Um, I think that what has happened here and how this has played out is perfect. These final two matchups, which of course will be Pitbull and Sanchez in the rematch as we just laid out, and AJ McKee against Darian Caldwell on the other side, Luke, this is damn good. This is, this is about as good as you could hope for if you're Bellator. And if we end up, Luke, and who knows if both will make it, but if we end up with Caldwell... And bull, I'm here. I'm, 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 I'm getting buckled in, Luke. Give me that. Give it to me.
1: Or, or, or even McKee. Don't look past McKee and he's what he's right, been he's able He's able
0: to hot, do. too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of different ways you can go. I mean, Bellator, overall, this is not some kind of revelation. But it clearly does not have the quality UFC does. And it's not especially close. However, what they have is in certain situations, they have very fun, very competitive, very talented divisions. Welterweight, I think, is one that's in the rebuilding process. We're not probably don't have time to talk about it, but the Yaroslav Amosov and Logan Storley fight was just sensational last night. In proof of that, oh, next got generation of, we of welterweights. Okay, well, I'm saying it's proof of that. Like that welterweight division that they're they're putting together, and the youth movement they have there is is just sensational. And then at welterweight, bantamweight too, by the way, for Bellator. But excuse me, I'm um, featherweight. You know, you can see that they just have so much talent to work with. It'd be a shame to not showcase it. And what better way to get folks to understand who the dominant and interesting players are than to make some kind of a tournament? Now, the COVID thing disrupted it. It lost a lot of momentum as a consequence. But to the point you're making, BC, I mean, you look at these fights last night, dude. That Bellator card was awesome. Like, Bellator's had a bunch of duds since the, the return of the uh, pandemic. Like, there's shows that yeah, we're not, not they're, hiding they're,
0: from that. We're not yeah. chilling out for that, okay? The, well, here's what I'm saying.
1: Like, listen, some of that's their fault, some of it's not. You know, what are you going to do? And the UFC's had some duds. UFC's had some good shows, too, although UFC's had a, a really good uh, pandemic run. But here's my point. Last night was the first night since the return of the pandemic where I was like, dude, that Bellator show rocked. All three of those fights on the main car were good. You could have put the Pico fight there. The Pico fight was great, too, and the way he looked. Like, They've got some youth, man. If you just go and look at some of those right divisions, 135, 145, 170, and some other ones as well, they got some killers in there. And this tournament it was a great showcase for it. And I honestly, like, I am thrilled to see the Pitbull-Sanchez rematch. Can't wait to see next week with AJ McKee and Caldwell and who they end up matching up with in the end. It's going to be phenomenal, dude. I, I really can't wait.
0: Yeah, these are one of those times where you do take the hat off to Scott Coker. They don't do everything right. They can do certain things right. This was one of them. Another one, Luke, was that third fight you mentioned, the welterweights. Unbeaten versus unbeaten. This was one of those two colliding trains in terms of this fight will tell us sort of which guy Bellator should back and start promoting heavily. Luke, this is a great ass fight. Yaroslav Amasov improving to twenty-five and zero. Which let's talk about, Luke. I, you know, it's the same thing when we talk about Habib and say, well, maybe the first sixteen Habib wins. We're all against Russia. Nobody's again. This is mixed martial arts. I don't care if you're on the regional scene and the cage breaks and somebody parachutes in the middle or Justin Kiss shits her pants. You go. You start. You go undefeated this deep into your career, Luke. It's impressive. There's a million ways to lose in MMA. Amasov got the test that we were looking for him to get to get I think both guys raised their stock in this one totally. and Luke I'm not even sure the judges got it right let's talk about this Amosov outstruck him badly but a lot of those as Josh Thompson pointed out correctly was an exhausted fighter tap 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 a ruin Luke um, you know that'll work with some judges as it won't with others I saw a Logan Storley who pushed the pace made Amasov fight his fight for good stretches and kind of wore him out and gassed him out by committing so heavily to the wrestling early. Who did you have in this one, Luke?
1: So the third round was easy. Logan Storley, let's say he lost the first two rounds, which is a plausible scenario. There's no way he lost the third. In fact, he took the back of Amosov and got close with a couple of rear naked choke attempts where you could see Amosov's face straining to deal with not merely getting the choke, but he was getting bowed out on his spine, which is very, very uncomfortable. And painful, and you can imagine a four-time All-American's got a fucking squeeze on him. So, you yeah. know, a, a very, very, very impressive um, third-round effort from Logan Storley. To me, it comes down to the second round. First round, Amosov. Third round, no doubt about it, is going to be Storley's. the second round. You know, Big John was making a point. It was like, who did more work to bring you closer to the finish? And I guess the answer, if you were looking at it that way, which it, I guess is how the, the the scoring criteria looks at it, the answer would be Amosov, but not really, if you ask me. Yes, he had a couple of Darce attempts. Neither was especially close. Neither was really going to get you meaningfully towards a finish. To me, I look at it more of like a really clever way to do um, uh, submission or positional uh, uh, dominance. right? So it looks pretty good. It's not really going to get you there. And if you actually ask who did the most work in that regard, it would in the second round, it would be Logan Storley. But he also got some punishment his way. It's a close call. I scored it for Amosov. Wouldn't have complained for Storley. I think your basic point, though, was correct. Both guys raising their stock. Amosov 25-0, has beaten both Ed Roof and Logan Storley. He has beaten Eric Silva, Gerald Harris, David Rickles, Give this guy a title shot. He has done more than enough. And Logan Storley may have stumbled a bit last night, but he is clearly a force to be reckoned with at 170 pounds. Some of the best scrambles you're ever going to see in any kind of high-end welterweight fight. If you didn't go see it, find a way to do it. It was phenomenal.
0: Look, when we went, when they went to the cards, Luke, I, I felt Storley had a good chance. So I thought he, he could have won that fight. And it's odd enough. I thought he what won him the fight. If you believe Stor, uh, Logan won this two rounds to one, It was the round that he lost, the first one that may have won him the fight, Luke, because I think his relentlessness in going to the takedowns did show that Amasov can wrestle and can stop the takedown. But look, it wore him out. I mean, Storley was the guy who had the better motor on this night. It's not that he doesn't have a, uh, a lot to learn. Logan Storley needs to work on his striking. I mean, straight up. But he's with the right team, Sanford MMA. He's got a guy in the corner, Robbie Lawler, who absolutely believes in him and is pushing him in camp. This guy's got a motor. He's got the right attitude. I loved how angry he was when he lost it, Luke, because he came pretty darn close to, uh, to pulling that off. And like we said, even in defeat, he made a big announcement of who he is. Uh, good to see this for Bellator, okay? Because Let, me look- say this.
1: Let me say this real quickly, BC. Put up that last picture, whoever's running the photos there, Gaff or Corey or whoever, the one where Amosov is getting his hand raised. Put that picture up there for just a second. I, wanna, I, wanna, I, I noticed this last night, and I was like, dude, no, 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 no. The one where he's getting his hand raised. There you go. Can we zoom in on the referee? Go back, please. Go back. Yes, <laughs> you leave that one. That's fine. Can you zoom in on the referee... Look at my man's, my man's got seven haircuts here going all at once. He's <laughs> got a mullet. Of
0: him. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he's got a mullet. He's got a fade. He's got like a part up top. He looks like he's joining a rockabilly band. What is Kevin <laughs> McDonald doing, bro?
0: <laughs> well, look. When you're on the same card as Mike Beltran, Luke, you do need to step up your game to get noticed, right? I mean, you're just another white guy if you don't. So you don't have the Josh Rosenthal tats or the uh, f- weed farm in your uh, on your plantation. So you got to do something, Luke, Luke, to get going. Um, here's what I, I did want to say that. Look, again, we're, we're never going to lie. Who Bellator is, right? Some of it is smoke and mirrors. Some of it is good young fighters who have a bright future. Some of it is let's 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 buy some old names and put them out there for ratings. This was the kind of fight you, you love, though. Two guys that are homegrown that they can build upon. Luke, it was the exact opposite of the matchmaking in the... Uh... <laughs> In the uh, what's her name Melendez fight that uh, had you blowing up my text, Luke? Do you want to you want to you want to play that card now? You want to have? Uh, that I'll moment? just
1: say very quickly, there was this Carrie Ann Taylor Melendez who is what four or five fights deep into her career right now. This is when you know you're not supposed to get necessarily a huge jump in quality of an opponent, but you should begin to get something a little bit tougher at that point. And they gave her this woman whose last name is King. I, I'm not going to sit here and berate her except to say. She had absolutely no business, not only being in this fight, but honestly in a Bellator cage at all. Uh, And I know she got some kind of surprising win over somebody, and I think in boxing or whatever. Dude, this fight, they should not have made this fight. They should not have made this fight. I don't know how the commission agreed to it. it. Within 10 seconds, you knew by watching her movement.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you heroes in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business.
1: Sports is you not know, as uh, simple you know, as why? bringing a bunch of big names together.
0: I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so
1: many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal.
0: Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
1: King was totally out of her depth. And honestly, the reason why, like, you know, you can't complain too much in the end is because she got submitted from the back, which, you know, once it went to the ground, she had no idea what she was doing whatsoever. So she had this merciful end. But like, what if Carrie Ann Taylor-Melendez wasn't merciful? You know, that could have gotten really, really bad. And so, in general, last night was a big win for Bellator. Make no mistake about it. The, the, The card was so fun to watch. But I don't know how they came up with that fight and why they made it and that lady, Miss King, does not need to be in a Bellator cage ever again. Not, yeah. not, not for a long time.
0: Bellator's got a few of those. Remember that guy from the meat packing plant that fought Jake Hager? Oh, that was great. Uh, that guy actually came to fight, by the way. Uh, Luke, we do have to talk about Aaron Pico, who was in the preliminary main event on this undercard. So the Aaron Pico uh, experience, I think it's always must-see. I think it's fun as balls because whether he wins or loses, it's like a, a reality show to see if this – Greatest contender, greatest prospect, let's say. You know, really, the, the, the brightest prospect in MMA history. A guy Bellator signed in high school. can he figure out how great he is? Luke, I felt like he turned a corner last night, and it almost has nothing to do or not completely relying upon the highlight you're watching now. This was a sensational knockout of this fellow DeJesus. Absolutely sensational, and it's made even better when you hear Pico talk afterwards about how they studied Coach Brendan Gibson. they studied this moment right here in that call out of one fork. Great stuff, but almost remove that from the memory bank, Luke to make to for Aaron Pico to be great again for me to wear a red maga hat for Pico. he's got to commit to the damn wrestling, but as Josh Thompson said very intelligently, use the wrestling and the great boxing which he's relied too much upon together to complement one another. This was the best I've ever seen Aaron Pico. We've seen him go in there, walk people down, and destroy them because his hands are just so good for this level. But, Luke, combining both elements, I mean, he beat the crap out of De Jesus on the ground multiple times. The takedowns, the transitions, the savagery. This is the Aaron Pico that, used to get, that people used to get rock hard with emotion on, to steal another J.K. Hager quote. Uh, Luke, this is, this is the guy. I think he's figuring out under Coach Jackson, Coach Wink, how to be that guy again. Shout out to the horse with the long dong. Pico's for real now, Luke. It's time. It's time. He's for real, bro.
1: And I'll say this. I still think he's got plenty of development left to go. I mean, he's far from a finished product. What the Jackson folks did was get him to where he is supposed to be. Because he did not have the development he was supposed to have. In fact, in many ways, it almost hurt him. He talked about being broken by the time he ended up at Jackson Wink in those words, the word broken. And they began to piece him back together again. And I know some folks are like, oh, he should be on fighting you know, better guys on the main card. You know, listen, if his development had gone appropriately, I would say so. But because he needed such help in getting the train back on the tracks, fighting on a prelim card against you know somewhat overmatched opposition... I think is the right call. It's not about this fight being like the test of where he is. It's about each opportunity being another run through the cycle as you begin to repair all the damage from what was done before. And I maybe he's at the point now where it's time to begin to step the things up a little bit. Uh, I don't know that he needs to be fighting on prelim cards anymore. But he climbed to seven and three. He's got now ten fights. I think he's what about three, four-fight win streak at this point, whatever it ends up being. And he has finally kind of, he's, he's fighting in a way that is smart, strategic, speaks to his strengths, doesn't you know um, ignore his weaknesses. Still a couple of issues to iron out, getting a little bit overly aggressive last night, but that's fine from a fighter who still obviously has a ways to go in terms of his own uh, maturation. But he is fighting in a way that is um, the way he should be fighting. How, what are you good at? Let's focus on what needs work. Let's, let's, you know, let's put that away until we can really bring that out as a strength. And let's give you this developmental, incremental improvement in opposition um, to get you to a place where we know we can maximize your skill. I give Bellator a ton of credit in you know this, the 2.0 effort. They rushed him too fast. And by the way, his team is responsible for that too in yes. rushing him out there the first time. But the second effort, don't rush it. Do it slow. I give him credit.
0: I give him credit personally, Luke, because when you come in with that much hype, and let's not, like, if you don't know his backstory, Luke, he's been, like, he was, like, in a laboratory prepared for this moment, right? Like, he was, you know, a world-class ranked junior boxer, wrestler, all this stuff. He was too good for his own good early, Luke, to be able to go into Freddie Roach's wildcard gym and spar Miguel Cotto and, and hold his own and have moments at, like, 20 years old. I mean, look, like, he was a guy who came in, and and I think that you have to throw shade at, at, at the team originally. And I, and those who were close to him do admit that, that, you know, I mean, remember his pro debut, Luke on that MSG card, the pay-per-view for Bellator. He was in a weight class too high against a guy who was too experienced and Ian Freeman. And he got caught and submitted early. And then he was matching himself too hard without rebuilding himself and re- trying to go for knockouts like crazy. I give him credit, Luke, because this is this could have been a, a, a child star situation. This could have been Todd Bridges, right? We could have saw Pico in the police blotter. No, he figured it out, and he needed to figure it out emotionally. And I talked to him. Look, there's two wins now in four months since moving to Jackson's, and I talked to him early in the quarantine, and everything about that move to New Mexico. Like, this guy... He friggin' loves horses, Luke. Everything about that has calmed him down, has sort of gotten him away from the negativity of being pushed too hard in California, and has helped him figure out who he really is. And I give him that credit for not crumbling after those defeats, because some of those were devastating. They were absolutely devastating. And he's got plenty of time to figure out, not just in MMA, but also in boxing, where his eventual goal is to win a title at a high level in both sports. Uh, This kid's still special, and to be able to come over that roadblock and get back into strategy he said he didn't never he never had a strategy in the past so what 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 they're doing down there at jackson wink he's sort of getting real time coaching for the first time in terms of actually knowing why he's doing things and you saw it in that post-fight interview luke when it catches up up here he's got everything else he's got everything else he needs luke this guy's gonna be scary i mean i, I see a lot of michael chandler in him do you see that
1: a little bit i think he's a little bit of a different fighter but um Certainly, there are some parallels there. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that except I think Brandon Gibson is a more than just a striking coach. I think he can be, in the right circumstances, a leader of men. He's a guy who has told me about mistakes he made as a coach in his past and how he doesn't want to repeat those with the next generation of talents. And I think you're seeing, you know, it's not just the fighter getting better with a coach that's good. You're seeing those coaches who, in the you know the aughts or the twenty tens we're beginning to get better themselves. Now they're really leaning on, you know, a decade or more of being in the trenches there and bringing that prospect or bringing those, uh, those experiences to bear and everyone is benefiting. And I think the sport's going to be better for it.
0: All right, Luke, let's roll on here. Uh, it was a week ago today on our last Friday show that the whole Canelo Alv- Alvarez, breaking news, the biggest star in boxing, the Mexican, uh, pound for pound King Mexican superstar, uh, We've seen some whispers, some rumors back and forth. Originally, he was linked for maybe a one-off fight against Caleb Plant with the PBC. The latest reporting on Canelo Alvarez, Luke, and this comes from Eddie Hearn himself, who spoke to multiple outlets, is that Herman and Matchroom Sport are currently negotiating the possibility of Canelo doing a one-off with them against 168-pound champion Callum Smith of England, who's big, he's unbeaten, he's fun and aggressive, Luke, this would be an interesting fight because there's a couple of interesting elements here. They're they're gunning for December 18th, 19th, or 20th, depending upon the competition on those dates. They want to do it at ATT Stadium, home of the Cowboys in Arlington. And they want to do it back on zone where Matchroom Sport, of course, has a giant deal with. Uh, Luke, this would be pretty wild if Canelo could sue his promoter and network... Get them to basically throw up their hands and be like, yep, you won, walk away, you get what you want. Call his own shots and have the first shot be back in his ex-lover's home and do it in in Cowboy Stadium and true to what Canelo is about, do it in a difficult fight. I know Callum Smith isn't, you know, as proven, doesn't have this deep resume, but he's seven inches taller than Canelo. And Canelo has that bootleg secondary uh, super middleweight title that he won from Rocky Fielding. Callum Smith has the big boy version. So we hate in boxing that there's too many belts. He's actually going after the champion who has the big version of the one he wants. Luke, this is, I mean, what what are we going to say bad about Canelo at this point? This is a pretty ballsy big time move here.
1: I'm surprised to hear it, to be honest with you. When I read the report like you did, I was like, huh, that's interesting. You sue to leave the zone to go right, right back to the zone how are they going to have the money to pay you for the reasons that you left like i don't part of that i don't get either although who who the hell knows i mean there must be some kind of way that this could all work out if if they were this far down the road um, i don't mind the fight i thought you did a you're right it's like canelo is a much higher level attraction than callum smith but for the weight class differences there's a reason to be in, interested in it it's just, I could have sworn, you know, maybe you felt the same way. I thought he was turning the DAZN page. You know, going into business with Eddie Hearn on some level, you could sort of say for a one-fight deal makes sense, but of course, Hearn is tied to DAZN. But I mean, just sort of doing business with a, you know, a, 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 any kind of promoter in that space who has a reasonable level of visibility, I'm not necessarily surprised by. I just don't understand you let, part of the reason why you left the zone was they were lowballing you relative to what they had promised. How can they fix that unless it's like they can say, well, if it's one fight, we can give you more, but we probably couldn't do it again. Maybe there's something to be said for that. I don't really know. I thought he was headed to ESPN or Fox, maybe Showtime, something like that. And maybe he will be for a long-term deal, BC. But to go right back, <laughs> I don't know what to say, except how is the money working out in the way that it needs to for this to be a real thing. Well, look, Somebody please tell me. They ripped
0: up that deal that they promised. And they, yeah, the they
1: issue, decided to let issue, him- I, I, I know they ripped it up. Like, I'm, not under the, I'm not laboring under the delusion. They're like, oh, let's go back to the old blueprint. But what I'm saying was part of the reason why they were having the money issues is DeZone was saying we ha- we're having financial difficulties. They're not having them anymore? Or is it the idea that if you're just one fight, we can pony up a little bit
0: more for that one fight? They couldn't afford the thirty-five million per fight that they guaranteed. No one should be able to afford that at this moment. I mean, you know, we're in a—you can't even have fans in a live gate. Although, obviously, if they put this at AT and T Stadium, they want a certain level of fans. But the whole point here, at Luke, is by ripping up the deal and allowing Canelo to go, they basically said, you know, we can't—we can't win this lawsuit and your reward is we don't, we're not going to go down the road of fighting it. Just walk away. They wanted to sign him for 20 million per fight. If they're the only network at the moment who can give him that immediate fight, he wants to come right back in December and make this happen and he can get 20 something million for, it. I mean, it's interesting. It It is a little bit like, you know, walking out in your family and then being invited back to Thanksgiving with your new girlfriend. I mean, it's, it's interesting, but there's a lot of reasons to believe that this is a one-off and Canelo goes in the direction of maybe PBC and Al Heyman, Luke. And, um, Dan Raphael, uh, formerly of ESPN, now with BoxingScene.com, did report through his sources that it's most likely Canelo, who's talking to PBC at the moment, would end up you know doing some type of three-year deal with them. And that would make a lot more sense, Luke. And it's not just the fact that PBC would have the uh, you know network deals with Fox and Showtime to do traditional pay-per-view, and he's got a great history with Showtime, as we know. But the fact that Al Heyman is a, a manager and advisor – who, you know, has has flipped the model upside down. He he takes promoters and makes them, you know, his bitch. He basically, you know, says, you physically promote the fight. I'm just the manager, but I'm also kind of calling the shots. And what that might allow Canelo, should he want to go the direction of what Floyd did in the past, is, you know, Canelo promotions, whatever that is, right? All these star boxers think they have their own promotional stable. You know, that could potentially still be the lead promoter, even though you're under the PBC managerial banner. You'd have to think that's... um. Much more enticing for Canelo at this point than getting back in a long-term deal with a single promoter, given how it went with Oscar and Golden Boy. And, Luke, if you're looking for the the network or, or promoter or pairing that offers him the most potential uh, big-name opponents, it's certainly PBC when you've got Caleb Plant and David Benavidez at 168, along with a deep division there. You've got the possibility of people like... you got the Charlos. you got the possibility of somebody like Errol Spence moving up. And then you just have that complete and loaded 154-pound division, which might move up. Not just one half of the Charlo twins, but Jarrett Hurd, who we both love, is a giant junior middleweight. And a lot more names there. I know Canelo's future isn't as likely to be at 160 in the long run, given the weight challenges. But uh, that's probably his best short-term game here to switch to that. And if he did, look... A lot of fun matchups you can make would be fun for us as well. It'd be interesting to see where this goes. I just got to say this. It's not that Canelo Luke in the public eye is undefeated, right? He had the uh, the the tainted beef gate ahead of the second Golovkin fight, right? He's got the weird tattoos of his wife's eyeballs right there. Um, He waited out Gan- can- uh, Golovkin two years, right? I mean, there's he's done a couple fishy things, but for the most part, this is the Canelo era, Luke and he's always looking to fight the damn best and take chances i have to salute big red thank you canelo thank you
1: yeah let's see what happens if he ends up fighting in december you know i'm still a dozone customer for now so oh, fine by me you know
0: and and ryan garcia who's december december 5th fight with um... Luke Campbell is postponed. He's trying to get on that Canelo undercard, either against Luke Campbell, if he can make it, or even against Jorge Linares, Luke, which would be a hell of a last minute replacement there. That'd be a very fun fight that would still teach us a lot about who Ryan Garcia is. So, Follow that closely as we move forward. And to close, Luke, for our uh, topics of the weekend, we do have a big boxing fight this Saturday on ESPN when Terrence Crawford, unbeaten your WBO weltsweight champion, defends against 34-year-old Kel Brook, who's coming in here on a three-fight win streak. But Luke, coming in here with the idea of, is he shopworn? Is this the beginning of the end? Is he cashing himself out? I had him on Morning Combat last week. We did, or you know, I talked to him and... He's in the best shape of his life. He's got a new promoter. He's got a new trainer. He's blah blah blah. I believe we're gonna get the best of what's left of Kell Brook. Will that be enough from what you've seen of Bud Crawford at one forty seven to have any any dent in what he's doing?
1: No. I, I mean, for some reason, I mean, I wouldn't say I have antipathy towards Bud Crawford. That would be overstating things. But this idea that, like, I mean, guys, he's a minus seventeen hundred favorite. Kell Brook is over a plus 1,000 in multiple places. You know, and I understand the boxing odds are a little bit different, right? Because so, you can have a guy who could be, a, let's say, even a plus 500, and that could be live dog territory. So this is not the exact same as MMA being where you're – if you're a plus 1,000 MMA, I mean, you're basically fighting your grandma or something, right? So it's not that. Kell Brook has ha- had his time in the sun in certain ways. But Bud Crawford, who is in, you know argument for top pound-for-pound fighter um, – you know, I don't I don't I don't even know what the argument would be other than Bud Crawford is unprepared. A guy who, as we talked about, can switch hit. He can fight from opposite stances, who is smart, he's got good power, um, he's experienced, he's patient when he needs to be, he can step on the gas when he needs to. Kel Brook, I it's just not you know more about boxing than I do, certainly, BC. But when I looked at the tape in preparation for today and I went back through and I was trying to there was nothing on there that showed me that this is a fight that, not that it couldn't be competitive in spaces per se, but like what is the thing that Kelbrook can do or has shown an ability to do that gives you reason to think that Bud Crawford can't figure out a way around it?
0: Uh, well, the, the, problem is, the problem is that guy did exist, but he existed in 2014 when Kelbrook beat Sean Porter and came to the U.S. and won his welterweight title. At his peak, Luke, I think Kell Brook's the perfect guy who can give Crawford fits. He's, he's perfectly well-rounded across the board. He's quick. He's strong. He's got, a, he's got good punch resistance, uh, you know, outside of breaking his eye twice. He uh, can land very craftful, hard counter shots. Um, he's patient. He's poised. There's a lot to love there. The problem, Luke, is that his only two defeats were damaging, it was when he moved up two weight classes to fight Golovkin and he had big moments there, but he was at middleweight and he got stopped and his eye fell apart and he broke his orbital bone. Then he goes and defends his welterweight title in the next fight against Errol Spence. And you remember that fight, Luke. That was a fun-ass fight for eight or nine rounds. Pretty damn even. He gave it to Errol Spence as much as he got it in return. Well, then he broke his other eye. And since then, Luke, although he's 3-0 and with two KOs, he's had long layoffs. He hasn't looked like the same guy And he's had a lot of trouble making 147. He, in fact, kind of moved up to 154 there. So the whole idea is you're asking the guy at 34 to cut back down and to be at a level we haven't seen in a while. I do think he's going to overachieve on Saturday. And I do think there's a question to say, Crawford in that last fight against Mean Machine, Kavaliowskis, was he just bored, Luke? Did he get surprised? He got dropped! We never see Bud in any, any kind of peril he got dropped by mean machine early and i think that fight became a brawl nobody expected that did bud do it because he loves to fight did he do it because he had to i don't know he still won the fight luke he's still 4-0 at welterweight with four ko's but it hasn't been against great competition i think hellbrook is going to overachieve on saturday he's going to have moments he's going to make bud work but bud crawford is in this pound for pound number one debate for a reason he's insanely good luke once he makes that adjustment once he switches to southpaw once he decides whether he wants to box you from the outside or walk you down or some ver- variation of both, he gets to you, and he gets you out of there. He has made some bold statements. He He's not a big talker. You'll see on my interview this week with him if you haven't checked it out. But he said, look, uh, I've never been stopped before. I never quit. This guy has twice. He's done it before. He'll do it again. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go in there and be spectacular. Yeah, I believe him. Look, I don't understand those, those betting odds. I don't know how he can be a pl- uh, minus 1,700. I don't get it. I mean, Kell Brook still has a pulse. He doesn't need a, a a walker to you know to walk to the ring. He he's got something left enough to win. No, no, not enough to win. But we're acting like he's going in there against um, you know, CM Punk. We really are. I don't get these odds lately, Luke.
1: The CM Punk thing, yeah. I mean, I don't think Kel Brook is that. Again, I think you make a decent case for who he used to be. And yes, I saw the fight against Kavilouskis. So I forget how you pronounce his name. Crawford looked to me like he was taking him lightly, but then after he got dropped, he was like, "Okay, time to call this one off." And then stopped him inside of the distance at the ninth round. In fact, D- B- Bud hasn't gone to a decision since 2014. He has stopped everyone else since then. That was against Victor Postal, who, was, of course, back in 20- 2016, excuse me, um, you know, was much more of a force to be reckoned with. And even now, he's still pretty good. So you know, you're talking about a guy who. Yes, maybe there's been better competition he could have faced along the way. Maybe he'll get complacent, BC. But if you're just looking skill for skill at the current moment, you know. God bless Kelbrook. Brook. Maybe he gets it done and I'll come here on Monday at eat Crow like a son of a bitch. But I don't see it right
0: now. Yeah, I mean come on, I make it uh, minus seven hundred, yeah. Yeah Yeah, okay. I think that's a little okay. bit
1: yes, that'd be fine. We'll yeah.
0: But I mean I'm seeing Kelbrook Brook at like you said, plus eight fifty, plus one thousand. I don't I mean come on, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that, Luke. All right. All right. That is your topics for the week, Luke. Hey, let's have a little bit of fun here, Luke, with a segment that we call Dead Wrong.
1: Yeah. We should play like the Biggie stuff or some kind of version of it that we can get away with.
0: Because I'm ready to die. Yes, I'm ready. Well, the song Dead Wrong
1: with Eminem. Remember?
0: Yeah, okay. Okay, I'm with that. Uh, If you don't know, now you know, this segment looks back over the week that was on this show and not only says what we got wrong, Luke, but often our producer Jay and sometimes even the fans because they have challenged us many a time that we were wrong about something. You do the research, you you find that they're dead wrong, those MFers. All right, let's start right here, Luke. And we're starting where I started. Luke torching the damn fans. You went back and checked the video from last week's Dead Wrong where you were accused on the Joe Rogan podcast of trying to make the case that Jan Blachowicz fought at UFC at middleweight before moving up to 205. It turns out it was actually Joe Rogan. And to double down here, I also questioned your take on Jaime Munguia calling him maybe the biggest puncher in boxing. You're saying not only me, but all of our fans just didn't listen to your words. The floor is yours, Luke. Who's wrong?
1: Oh, the fans deserve... I mean, listen, this whole segment is built around the idea that you and I, as imperfect creatures, deserve to get whacked by the stick of truth when we stray from the path, BC. And if I don't get whacked after this, it'll be the next time we do it. And the time after that, and the time after that. It will be a perpetual walk over glass for you and I. Because we are errant, fallen creatures. And I understand that, and I accept that. But the audience needs to understand, you come at the king, you best not miss. Ooh. Two claims were made, at me, uh, made about me when I went on Rogan's show that are absolutely, demonstrably false. First... They said that what I said was that Jaime Munguia was the biggest puncher in boxing. Didn't
0: no? I said that. Go, I said
1: that. Well, okay. Well, you didn't listen either because if you go back and listen explicitly, I say that, and I go then I go by weight, right? I was listening then for my name. Measured by weight.
0: I was listening for my name, Luke. Sorry, never heard the part yeah. about Bunguia.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, cry more about that, will you? But the point is this. You can debate about whether or not that is true, about relative to his weight class, he is or isn't the biggest puncher, and that's fine if you want to disagree or say that particular claim is wrong. But the idea that I'm sitting here fucking floating the idea that he's somehow on par with Deontay Wilder or some shit is just the invention of people who lack listening comprehension skills, number one. Number wow. two, those same people who lack listening comprehension skills – Told me, apparently on the show last week, that I was the guy saying that Blahovich fought at 185. I said, you know, I've never thought that in my life. How could that be? So I went back and I looked at the tape. Dead fucking wrong. Rogan said it about Tiago Santos when we were talking about Santos and uh, some other fighter in there. I guess it was Blahovic or maybe it was somebody else in the record there. A, I don't know what Rogan was talking about, whether the, the specifics of it, but B, Those words never came out of my mouth, and I didn't even co-sign it. I just let it rock and go onto the ether. I was studying something else when we were looking at Blachowicz's resume. So two times the audience wants to nail me to the wall, and two times they got it totally fucking wrong. Let me tell you something, folks. I'll be wrong a million times. I probably said some wrong shit today. But you come at the king, you best not miss. You fucked up, you're dead wrong.
0: Wow, Wow! this guy quoting Omar here. I wonder if you uh, prefer the touch of a man. It's it's all right, though, if you do, Luke. Uh, wow, all you people that bought Luke's merch over the years and supported his career, F you. That's what yeah. Luke's basically saying. S-O-D. Okay. All right. Uh, hey, Luke did get uh, most things right on Joe Rogan. However, on the Joe Rogan podcast, Luke had mentioned the top Mexican holidays for boxing, which, of course, are Cinco de Mayo, May 5th weekend, and... Mexican Independence Day, September. second weekend in September, which Luke has called Mexican New Year, not just on the Joe Rogan ah. show, but on this one as well. Luke, it's Independence Day, not New Year. Yes, Year's. I know. Racist I miss mother you know what? Upper, I, mean, I, wow.
1: I know that. On, I know that, but I stated it wrong. I'll take the L there. Whether you know it or you don't, you got to state it correctly. Fine. I'll take that L. I deserve Luke, it, no problem. What
0: are you? What are you gonna? What are you gonna build a wall now? Too? I mean, what a nay hole! Uh, yeah, right. and, you, uh, and, you,
1: and you know what? Showtime's gonna pay for it.
0: Go! Oh, wow, wow, there's a documentary <laughs> about that. Yeah, uh, Luke, uh, I had mentioned uh, on one of our episodes this past week the overused "tougher than a two dollar steak." uh you know, reference and I said that was a stone cold one, Steve Austin. It's actually Jim Ross, the Hall of Fame WWE announcer, current voice of AEW, who overuses the shit out of that. Shout out to you, Jim Ross. It's Steve Austin who says, uh, like a like a long tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, and he also loves the (laughs) I don't know whether to shit or wind my watch cliches. So shout out to uh what does that what the fuck
1: does that even mean?
0: I don't know, Luke. We all have our tropes. We all have our things. Luke's, Luke Thomas has a bunch of them, if I may, right? Uh, you know, uh, per I've se. got producer credit. Mm. I've got IP credit on this show. Boy, you no one
1: has more grievances about things I'm doing than you. That is amazing.
0: Yeah, well, it's not long before we changed this show from MK to BC, or maybe BBC. <laughs> all right. By the um, way, Luke- we,
1: hold on, I'll say you're dead wrong for that. Because you say you're Big Beige Brian Campbell, wouldn't that be Triple B? Aren't you just, just stealing the Triple C gimmick?
0: Well, it, you know, BBC of course, Luke, sounds a lot like yes, a Yes, Big Black African Cock. American we all know. Dawn. But it doesn't
1: work. It it doesn't work.
0: If you're if you're Big Beige Brian, I'm long, I'm strong and I'm about to get the friction on, okay, ladies? So there you go. If you want to drive in my Mercedes, yeah. All right. Hey, Luke, um Uh, Let's talk about people shitting their pants in the cage. We made reference, of course, to Justine Kish's forgettable moment against uh, uh, Felice Herrig when she got choked and shat her pants and kept fighting and the, the smell, the stench. We had a lot of people go... How can you mention that without bringing up the Cuban Missile Crisis when Yoel Romero wearing the purple shorts may or may not have shit his pants against Derek Brunson? Luke, we got multiple uh, requests on this. So our one of our trusty MK producers, Mikey Mormal, and I became um, Shitlock Holmes, and we went and we investigated this, <laughs> Luke, okay? We looked at the tape. We looked at the interviews. <laughs> Although Derek Brunson did give an interview shortly after this uh, 2014 fight and say that he thought he smelt it. Romero went on the record in subsequent interviews and said no that was water that my corner poured down my back and with the purple trunks getting soiled around his ass crack it it browned a little bit Luke okay so you know what people you're dead wrong he didn't shit his pants okay Luke all right Can you just
1: just look at this thing on the screen put it back up there put it back up there Gaff I just want to point out if I had told you a year ago this would be our future dead wrong number four on a Friday MK no mention of Yoel Romero on shit pants.
0: Well, Luke, it, it didn't stop there because Mikey Mormile, our trusty producer, that goes, Don't forget, BC, Betch Cohea shit her pants in the knockout loss to Ronda Rousey. Everyone knows Is that. that. True? So so your boy Shitcock Holmes here, Luke, put on the glasses and I went deep. Turns out that was a little bit of a uh, thing on the internet following that fight. Actually, that fight was 2014, not the Brunson one. And, um, it turns out it was photoshopped. The internet bit it for a while, but it was a picture of Rousey getting her hand raised with Kohea uh, in the background wearing white shorts, and there was a giant brown spot that was photoshopped. She did get sent to hell. She did not shit her pants, Luke. So yes, that is where we're at, Luke. Okay, we are there. That is where we're at. All right. Bro. I hey, like I how I like
1: how the fact checkers on this show somehow can't listen to the clear words that I say or don't say. But somehow, are the most precise when it comes to who has defecated in their dungarees. <laughs> Boy, that is that is something.
0: Luke, I once shit my pants in high school. I'm not going to tell you more about the story, but it did happen. Right, it did happen.
1: Okay, I'll let that one go. Much, much you like probably you probably did in
0: Afghanistan or or somewhere, right,
1: Luke? Uh, I don't think I've defecated since I had any consciousness and and memory in my pants. Okay. So no.
0: You've pissed your pants as a as a drunkard, right? I've done that many times. Right?
1: Oh God, I've got some stories about urinating on myself that would just yep. be okay. Thank you. you Thank know. you.
0: Have you ever woke up the next morning and the person next to you had urinated all over the? Uh, we're, we're going too far down. We're going. Too no,
1: far but far. I've had some stories about waking up in a pool of my own urine next to someone that wasn't fun.
0: Oh God, that's gross as well. All right, we'll edit this part out afterwards. Thank you, uh, Luke. Fridays and Wednesdays we enjoy No J Aron in our ear hole, speeding us up. But Jay did uh, – Luke, can we talk about this? Can we have a family meeting here? What You're the one – yeah, listen, on...
1: you are to blame for the Jay thing. I want folks to know, I was on board with like him like having a role. You've just invited Kramer into the house all day long at this point, and that is really – I cannot take credit or blame for that.
0: That's on you. Well, we said it before, but it's worth saying again. Jay, off camera, is – he's not. it's not like he's not annoying, but he's witty – He's smart. He, I mean, look, he's a, he's a, he's a fun guy to talk to and hang out with. Jay on camera is like, uh, I mean, do you have an equivalent, Luke? I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's like, like a he, dead. It's body. like it's
1: like he's working at the DMV. That's about how funny he is. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's right, that's right. Well, Jay. Um, I created the monster, and Monday Jay just yeah, he just threw himself onto the show. And one of the things he said, Luke, during our very poignant um, and very you know touching tribute to Alex Trebek, which included Reggie Jackson jumping into my lap, that uh, it's fitting that Trebek and Connery would die so close together because Connery played Alex Trebek on SNL in that famous skit. Uh, no, he didn't, Luke. Uh, Sean Connery, the actor, was never in that sketch. Will Ferrell played Alex Trebek while Daryl Hammond played the role of Sean Connery in that much-repeated, much-hilarious sketch. Jay, just like when you came on here and told us that Bob Barker died, you're dead frickin' wrong, bro, all right? All right? No escaping, Jay. Jay is a
1: dumbass. Can we just, like, you know, Jay is, you know, he's he's stupid. What do you want him to say? I mean, it it is what it
0: is. All right. Uh, Luke, we close every Friday by touching them tips just for a second just to see how it feels. It's a segment we like to call play the, the 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 animation please tip to tip luke where we give advice we recommend we tip of the cap to somebody luke can you tip me off this week what are you where are you going which direction
1: i have a great tip for you and it's something that i uh just finished yesterday so it's a tv show but here's the good news actually i would argue some ways the bad news most ways the bad news it's only one season in fact they're not even calling it a tv show they're only calling it a mini series. Netflix's The Queen's Gambit. Man, I cannot give this a higher recommendation. What an incredibly well-made show. Um, the basic premise is there is this uh, girl, a uh, woman who eventually becomes, her name is Beth Harmon, and she is an orphan who becomes a chess prodigy. It's only one season. It's only seven episodes, and that's it. So you can kind of get through it pretty quickly. Here is what makes it so special. It is the most detailed... Okay, let me back up a second here. I have not found a television character more interesting um, in terms of how interesting I found Beth Harmon since Walter White. I mean, by far, to me, she is just a fascinating character. And that's true because of how she's written. It's also true by the way she's played by the various characters who play her as as she grows up. Such a tremendous job. The way this thing is shot is spectacular. The person who was in charge of, like, costumes and clothing did an unbelievable job. BC, you'll appreciate this. The soundtrack is next level. I mean, every detail on this thing in terms of how they did it is amazing and now i know the basics of chess i can play a little bit i've been hustled in washington square park that's about the extent of my chess knowledge really? but there was a guy who oh, real quickly there was a guy who was an international chess grandmaster who wrote for the new york times and in it he says they hired gary kasparov and another uh, high level chess uh player to design all the games and what they did was they not only designed certain games and certain strategies, they actually took real games between real grandmasters like Spassky and Fisher, and they had the characters play it out. So if you're a chess nerd, the way in which the chess looks is apparently super accurate because they're quite literally replaying some of the most famous games in history through the characters. Dude, let me tell you something. It's only seven episodes. Most are around 40 minutes such a brilliant show! The side characters are amazing as well. Everyone's game was on a level. This one could not give it a higher recommendation if I tried. Go watch the Queen's Gambit.
0: Wow, Luke, is it too smart for me?
1: No, 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 no. They do. They're very good, BC, about making sure the chess was authentic and that um, you know they did. They did. They did the game justice. But if you don't know, in fact, I would actually say it's almost better because my wife has never even played chess. I don't know how that's possible. She's like a backgammon expert, but has never played chess. And so...
0: Whoa, whoa, she, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're, a, uh, what we've learned this week from your live chat, you're secretly a, a teenage racquetball sensation, and your wife is good. a, a world-ranked backgammon player. Wow! Well, not
1: not world-ranked, but she can hold her own. But the point being is she was worried at times she wasn't going to be able to follow they don't make you worry about that but they bring you they bring you into the game and the stresses of it without making you understand, you know, rook to g7 or whatever. They don't make you they don't make you follow in that way, which is another amazing detail that they just somehow got right, dude. I'm telling you, everybody from the casting to the acting to the production to the direction to the cinematography to the post-production edit, dude, everybody. Everybody did their best work on this. I'm sad that there's not more of it, but it's almost perfect because you get just those seven episodes and then no more. And I don't know who this actress is who played Beth Harmon, but she fucking kills it. And her, wow. and her people in her life who they, they casted, they fucking kill it. It is I, such a good show. Go watch it.
0: Did, did Abuela get down with it too?
1: She's in Colombia right now, so no, right, we she didn't right. watch
0: did, does Bobby Fischer in there? Does he say anti-Semitic things about the Schaap family uncomfortably? <laughs> so,
1: in so they did manage to cut out uh, Fischer. It's almost like Beth Harmon kind of lives Fischer's life in a way, sort of. Like, it's not, I won't say loosely based on it, but imagine a world where Fischer didn't and they brought in this woman. It's kind of the role she would fill. Uh, but they do mention a bunch of other famous grandmasters, figures in chess history, well-known strategies that actually exist, the Sicilian, things like that. Um, it's amazing. It's really quite amazing.
0: All right. All right. I will check it out, Luke, and I will get back to you in next okay. week's tip.
1: What do you What all do you right, got for us? Right. What's your tip?
0: This week I wanted to tip the cap to the fine folks at the Kids Wish Network along with uh, Olympic hero Usain Bolt. I mentioned it during last week's show that my son Isaac, uh, who's battled so many health issues and CP and all the I mean, he's a champion among – among life champions in terms of the things he does, despite his physical and mental limitations. Uh, of you saw the video I put out on social media. Shout out to the great Alison Grisham for uh, editing and filming that, and put it together. Luke, our family got to sit down with Usain Bolt for, you know, half hour and uh, he surprised us by, uh, you know, saying they're going to take our family on a cruise. And he doubled down and said, if you, if you're willing to go to Jamaica, I would love to meet you. Uh, this has just been a, you know, one of those moments, Luke, that you just. Uh it's just you don't know how to respond to it. you don't have words to describe what it means. And uh uh my family to to yours and everybody else that that uh had thank you for all the kind words of people that have watched the video in and, and, and cheered us on and uh it's been a crazy story. There's there's a very deep backstory to my to my twin sons and all they've overcome. But to to have a moment like this to to meet your hero, whether it's in a great program like this or what people do in the Make a Wish Foundation and all that uh, these are the moments luke that that you'll never forget, and my son certainly won't and my fa- and you know myself and my family won't either it w- it was it was amazing and to find out that you know even Usain bolt ha- has had some of the same health difficulties my son has he, you know he had his legs were different lengths when he was you know to this day, which is something my son battles yet he runs cross country, runs you know adaptive sports track and field, has run five k's and I you know I did some research on bolt Luke he's got legs different lengths, and they don't know. the the experts, the doctors, the scientists, if that has helped him or hurt him, meaning is he as great as he was winning double gold at three straight Olympics because of that, or could he have been even better? It's wild. And it's certainly a, a, a celebration of the human spirit and overcoming. And, uh, uh, Luke, I'm still like floating on air from the whole experience. And it's really, you know, it's just a famous person taking 30 minutes out of their day and shout out to that great foundation. They sent a bunch of toys our way. They're taking us on this trip. I mean, you know, uh, uh, what what do I say? I'm humbled. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, I, so there's a video package that was produced by it, and I showed it to my wife, BC, and she just thought your son was the sweetest kid. Big smile, humble, uh, driven. And I'll say this for Usain Bolt, man. He didn't phone it in. I mean, well, I mean, it was a Zoom call, but what I mean to say is he didn't phone in the energy. You know, he was friendly. He was engaging. He was talkative. You know, he seemed like he was really interested in... Um, doing something kind for somebody he didn't even really know, you know? So uh, so shouts to your little one. Your other son, too, by the way, seems like a sweet boy as well. And, yeah, Christopher, um, yeah. Yeah, and then your wife also seems like, you know, she was really touched by the experience as well, so... I'm happy for you guys going on vacation uh, and the cruise. Just don't get the Rona on the cruise, man, because apparently they, they tried that this week and people still got the fucking Rona. So
0: uh, like, I'm like, you know, how long do we have this great gift? Can we cash <laughs> it in two years from now? You know, Yeah, we'll see what happens on that. But shout out to that. Uh, Luke, I've been drinking this NACO energy drink that Francis Ngannou's peddling. No carbs, no sugar. It's going to be fired up for MK. So tip of the cap to them as well for the free package. The do man. you know what Luke, BCAA for stands shirt. for? what you don't know what is that no i don't know what oh, is branch BCAA's. chain amino acids is that good or bad Luke? what it's am i good. drinking those are, are things I...
1: those are things you need yeah
0: I need hey to can i give Verana. a quick shout
1: out can i give a quick shout out to uh morning combat no context on twitter yeah um yes. you can follow them at mma underscore no underscore context but it's morning combat no context you should go look at their last tweet <laughs> this is the dumbest show in america buy a million miles NBC, or Triple BC, I'd have it no other way.
0: Thank you, thank you, Luke. Thank you. You know who would have thought, Luke? How, when did when was the first episode of MK? Uh,
1: July that, like, of 2019.
0: Yeah, like right after July 4th. Right, I was in Vegas. No, no, it was uh, it Chicago. was the
1: it was the Monday after Jones fought.
0: Uh, Tiago. No. Tiago, baby, Tiago, right? No,
1: I don't remember. Oh, fuck, I don't remember.
0: Yeah, it was Tiago Santos. I forgot what the co-main was. I remember it being pretty good. I was out there. Uh, Luke, we're we're a year plus into this, and it's it's just it's going places. So thanks to all the people. Luke, we have uh, we teased it, but we do have an announcement that next week, Luke, Tuesday, I believe, is the day. The morning combat. Um, what are we calling it, Luke? Are we calling it a documentary? Is that what we're calling it? Uh, the, I didn't know that was the release are, date. Our folks here at Showtime and Malka have put together a heck of a little piece of business. I've seen little samples of it uh, detailing, Luke, our, our, our return home to the uh, Jersey City Swamps for for, uh, for that pay-per-view week just a couple weeks back. So uh, uh, Tuesday-ish, they're saying, Luke. Okay, a soft, not a hard, not hard, a soft launch, maybe Tuesday. But Luke, uh, you know, just, just celebrating this show, the eccentricity, the weirdness. They sat us down for interviews, Luke. Um, Yeah. So uh, hopefully we could laugh. Look, one of these days, we're either going to get fired or we're going to hate each other, right? Nothing lasts forever. M- Mike and the Mad Dog broke up, okay? But until then, Luke, this is, this is the best thing going in my life. Okay?
1: Listen, Axel and Slash had to take time apart, and I suspect when we are s- selling out stadiums, we'll eventually crash in you know a Montreal hotel and Metallica will have to open for us. But until that day, it's you and I, buddy.
0: Yeah, there's no other duo in this game. And there's a lot of good duos out there. No other duo that can do what we do right here, right now. Tip of the cap to us. Thank you. Thank you. Look at this. Look at this. All right. All right, Luke. Look at that. Look at that. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's the show for this week. Please uh, buy our merch. Watch our shit. Showtime.com. 30 days. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Enjoy the fights this weekend uh, might do we'll see what happens might do a little reaction Saturday night to the Terence Crawford fight. but of course we'll be back Monday for all your weekend reaction to all the fights for Luke Thomas, my name is Brian Campbell. May all your ex-lovers be satisfied because they're no longer with you. okay? your hose loyal, okay? <laughs> May you never wake up in a pool of Luke Thomas's urine We out.